All right, good morning, everyone. If you got a Bible with you, open up to 1 Peter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 11. We're going to focus on 1 through, 1 through 5 today, though. That's going to be the focal point today. We're going to read 1 through 11. We're going to focus in on verses 1 through 5, though. You ever walk in a room, maybe when you were younger and your mom and dad were having a conversation? And after a few seconds, you realized they're talking about you? All the time. And then they don't stop talking about you. Awkward conversations. Um, this is an awkward, this is an awkward passage for me today. Um, Peter's talking to you about pastors. Yeah. Feel that today. I'm feeling it right now. So before we, I, I, know, I know Deb just prayed. Um, I want to pray again. Um, Deb's prayers were, were quite fine. They were good. I'm praying for me. If you don't mind. Um, I want to pray for you again too. And we're talking about, we're talking about pastors. We're talking about God loving his people through pastors. And so let's pray that this would be true today in your experience and through mine. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, it's a humbling task to be called your son um, and to serve you as your son. That's the greatest joy of all, is being known by you. And there are all sorts of different relationships that are present and represented here today. There, there are people that are sons to mothers and, and fathers. There are daughters here. There are spouses. I'm grateful for the joy of being called dad and husband. Those are the highest priorities that I have. It's a sweet privilege, though, to be able to love your people in, in such a way. Father, would you help me today be faithful to your word? And I pray that through the reading of your word and teaching, that the hearts of your people would soar because of the kind of love that you have for them. Father, we indeed stand in awe of you and our hearts are receptive to you today and what you have for us. We pray again that you would have your way, Lord Jesus. And all of God's people said, amen. 
So again, a little bit of an awkward conversation, right? Mom and dad in the room talking about you, surprise, they don't change the topic. When you're in there leaning in for a couple of minutes, Peter has started now turning the corner. He's about to end his letter. He's been talking to the church in general that they are to be holy in a very unholy and dark place. There's, there's heaviness here, but it's not met without hope. And so one of the ways we see God contending for his people, he seals them with his spirit. He sprinkles them with his own blood. He foreknew them like 1 Peter chapter 1 said. One of the ways in which God cares for you today is through pastors. It's through pastors. God cares for you through people leading and teaching God's word to you. Who on planet earth would ever want to lead though? Is that too honest of a question? Leadership's a paradox. It's both glorious and ruinous at the same time. It's a privilege. It's a high honor to be able to lead. And sometimes it's, it's weighty. Some might say that it can be a torment. And people look to leaders for direction. But in a world, the world that we live in, leaders are frankly in short supply. They're hard to find. Sometimes people that step up to the plate to lead, their skills are often exaggerated either by themselves or the people um, whom they lead might misunderstand their capacity to lead. And yet at the same time, other people are very quick to criticize or judge those that are in leadership or to become immediately suspecting of their motives behind leadership or outright condemning how they lead. It's easier to review a book or a movie than it is to write a book or write a movie. I tried it when I was 14. Uh, there might still be a copy of it floating around on the internet. The Pirates Have Scurvy. It was an awful film, 15 minutes. I don't recommend it to anyone. Let me just state plainly, writing a movie is way more difficult though than reviewing one, okay? It's easier to rail against a leader than to be one. It's easier to disagree. I'm grateful that our church isn't filled with like a whole bunch of naysayers and like people biting their thumb at me. And like, I'm, I'm grateful for that. It, it makes it less of a paradox and certainly more of a glorious task. That's not everywhere. A good leader is aware of the paradoxes of headship and they see them and they might even smell them a mile away. But skill alone isn't what's necessary to lead, especially in terms of God's people. 
um, I am woefully inadequate to, to shepherd on my own. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I don't have enough charisma. I don't have enough power or will to be able to lead you well alone. And I need help. Specifically, it's not a task that any one individual can just volunteer for. Rather, I think you're going to see throughout the rest of the text that it's someone that God calls to do this particular task. And that's where the supply comes into play. And so with all the the fun stuff and not fun stuff, all the inadequacy and at the same time, God calls his people to be led by woefully inadequate people as a demonstration of his love to those very people. It's with that in mind. Would you stand out of reading of God's word? We're going to read verses 1 through 11. Again, we're going to focus specifically on verses 1 through 5. This is what God's word to the churches in the Asia Minor were and what they are to you today. Starting in verse 1. So I exhort or encourage or declare, Peter speaks, uh, the, the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, 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 not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive, I will receive, thank you, Peter, I'm going to receive a crown of glory. And likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 6, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word to us this morning. You can be seated. You're taking notes. You'll see three different things here to note in in the first five verses. Okay, you see the responsibility of someone that leads. You see um, their, their reputation. We're talking about their character. And then finally, he, he talks about the reward of a pastor. I'm going to give you application all the way up front, though. So if you're taking notes, note three things. One, 
I would implore you, many of you, I've had the opportunity of getting to know, and it's been sweet. A passage like this calls us to be someone that is able to be led. Be someone that's able to be led. So I'm called to be pastor. I'm not called to be rancher. I'm called to come alongside and I'm not called to drive you towards a particular goal or a particular task. I'm not running up the rear. I'm, I'm coming about you. Ideally, gently, I hope to demonstrate that through the passage. But as someone who in my younger years was notoriously difficult to lead, there are some personalities that are just difficult to lead. There's some personalities that are not naturally bent towards wanting to be led. Or maybe you're distrusting of all kinds of leadership. Peter wants you to put your tendencies to rest. As long as they're met in Scripture. As long as they can be found in Scripture. As long as the individual that is supposed to be leading you has characteristics of someone that the Scripture describes. God cares for your soul through feeble, finite men that are entrusting their souls to you. Be someone that can be led. Question, are you someone that can be led? Do you want to be led? The only one that can lead me is Jesus, or rather the relationship that I have in my spirituality and Christianity is one that is just between Jesus and I. That's good as far as priesthood of the believer in the spirit, like, tr like empowering you to a faithful life. As far as oversight and tending to your soul, I would contend God has placed pastors in your life for your good. Be someone that can be led. Work towards the well-being, the overall well-being of the church too. Maybe you are someone that's led, but maybe your discipleship is rather passive. I believe that the best form of leadership, especially in the church, is multiple pastors leaning in and shepherding your soul. We don't see multiple pastors receive or run to their call, however, unless there are people who are willing to disciple them. And that is our job together. Older folks, you who have the most wisdom in here, young dudes like me desperately need you to lean into their life. For the sake of the church, not just HBC, but churches around here within like a 10 mile radius. They need you leaning into men here that might be called into ministry in the future so that they can care well for churches around here that are struggling and dying. I need you. 
And future people that will be called to ministry need you. Be someone that can be led. Work towards the well-being of our church and then answer God's call. I won't presume because this is the, the early service that God hasn't called one or two people into ministry and they've neglected and ignored God's call to serve well. A passage like this, man, I'm, I'm, I'm talking specifically about pastors, but there are people that God has moved in their heart to do a particular thing and they've ignored it. There are people that God has called to serve in ministry and you have not surrendered your life to God's call over your life. God's plan for caring for the church includes you caring for the church and serving the church and loving her. Not at the expense of your family. But make no mistake, it's costly. But Jesus invites you to follow him, to care for her well. So be someone that can be led. Think about engage in work towards the bent, the, the well-being of the church and then answer God's call today. Don't delay. Do not wrestle anymore, but submit. Where do you see all of that, Tim? Look at verse one. Starts with the pastor's responsibility, right? He's talking to pastors, absolutely. We get that. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Notice at the very beginning of the passage, at the very beginning of the book, he announces himself as Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Apostolic authority. He saw Jesus risen from the dead. Jesus sent him out along with 11 other men as leaders in building a foundation for the church. He doesn't lean on apostolic authority here. He contends and says, as a fellow pastor with you. He's not coming at them as one that's already above them. They already know he's above him as far as leadership is concerned. Instead, he comes down like a shepherd and says, as a fellow elder, I want you to elder well with me. Now, folks, mistakenly, they point to... Um, they point to the priesthood in the Old Testament as the, the, the roots for pastoral ministry in the New Testament. That's not quite right. We see elders actually in the Old Testament all the way back in Exodus and in Numbers when, when they're still in the, 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 the wilderness, God instructs Moses to call 70 men to serve alongside of him. And so they do. Exodus 24, Numbers 11, those of you that are taking notes, fact check me. I'm okay with that. I'm contending for a plurality of elders here. Multiple people serving and leading from their gifts and character. Exodus 24, Numbers 11, later on, Proverbs 31, 23. What's it say? The, the woman of wisdom... Her husband is respected at the city gates. 
as an elder of the land. Literally, it means bearded one. I might be disqualified already. I don't know at this point, guys. Sitting at the city gates, caring for and thinking about the welfare of a city. You see, in Ezra and Nehemiah, elders continued to function as local leaders throughout the Old Testament. You see it later on in the New Testament too with the Sanhedrin, which is comprised of 70 different individuals who are supposed to be strong in character and learned. They're able to teach the word too. But Paul builds this out in 1 Timothy and Titus. A pastor who is an overseer, who is a shepherd. Those are the people that that care for the spiritual needs of, of the church. It's not to the neglect of our deacons. Our deacons are wonderful, godly men. Mark Dever, he says it like this in terms of like the structure and welfare of the church. You've got several deacons in here today. Deacons lead by serving. Elders serve by leading. It doesn't mean I had a conversation with Richard about this maybe a month ago. And I received his encouragement and admonishment that these are men that are filled with wisdom, our deacons are. They're good, godly men. They are more than table waiters. They have a particular role in the New Testament. Likewise, elders do as well. Well, what are their responsibilities? What does it look like? They're they're shepherds. That's who they're supposed to be. As someone who is a sheep themselves submitted to the rule and leadership of Jesus, a shepherd is one who leads tenderly. And so with them should come a sense of guidance and safety. There should be a sense of protection. Who do they lead though? They don't just lead any flock. Y'all aren't my flock. Whose flock are you? I heard someone. Jesus's. They're not Peter's flock. He doesn't say, tend to my sheep. He says, shepherd the flock of God. Shepherd the flock amongst you. I'm not asking you to think about the church in Thessalonica. I'm not asking you to think about the church in Philippi. I'm asking you to think about the church that is in your immediate context, which means I'm not terribly concerned about what other churches do around here right now. I'm concerned about what happens here. I'm not concerned about with what happened 15 years ago at HBC insofar as that driving the ship for today. I'm concerned about who we are today. Jesus, through Peter, charges me and future leaders here to shepherd the flock of God tenderly. Shepherd the flock amongst us. They shepherd and watch out and they prevent trouble. That's true. There's a weird weird sense when we start talking about like my church. Like I mentioned um, last night, right after the, the whole fall festival thing, it was, it was sweet. I loved it. Like I love my church. 
Do you love your church? I love our church. You all have been so quick to receive Leisha and I. I've been deeply encouraged. Pastor, I pray for you like almost every day. Why not every day, friends? I'm joking, all right? I'm grateful. I'm grateful that you think about me. I'm grateful that we get to spend time together more, more than just Sunday mornings. I'm grateful that I get to pray with you. I'm grateful that I get to walk through stuff with you. That's a sweet joy, right? To re-emphasize, though, my church is not my church. Maybe some of us in here need a reminder of that, though. I know my church isn't my church. Do you know that your church isn't your church? It might hurt too much to say it from our own mouths, right? My church isn't my church. We did this last week. Look to your neighbor and remind them that your church isn't your church. C.S. Lewis remarked about ownership, right? We could talk about this thing, that thing, my pair of shoes, my body, my teddy bear, right? And, And it implies if it is my thing, then I can do with it what I want. We should have a church home. And may we call this place home. It should be our people with whom we feel safe with. But you are not my people, nor are they yours. This isn't our building, this isn't our money. This isn't our stuff. This isn't our life. It belongs solely and wholly to the one that gave himself for you and me. Jesus who rescued us, estranged from the Father, comes chasing after us, and like a good shepherd, he leads us home. Reminding us, again, I'm not my own. I'm bought at a price. Churches, and may we never be this. May we never creep into this. As many well-meant churches that gather on Sunday morning today with shallow relationships and dull and sleepless worship or lazy prayers, or wounding relationships. Or heaving unhelpful expectations upon other members. May we never be a place like that. And one of the ways that God defends against that through people that he's called to lead his people. Our church doesn't rise and fall on me. It rises and falls on Jesus. 
We've got to be leaders. We got to represent the Lord well, but we remember that his church is his church. So as one guy that's following the guy, I want to remind you of whose you are. You are Jesus's. Your stuff, our things, our money, our time is his. Vision is his. Direction is his. Glory is his. Do you see that anywhere else in this passage? Go down a moment. How he talks about oversight as well. That comes with direction and leadership. You shouldn't expect to be able to trust someone to do these things, though, unless their reputation is able to match it, right? He mentions three things that this individual should, first of all, be deliberate in his character. He should also be intentional, and he should be an example. I wish we had time to go through it all. Just a word about being deliberate in how they lead, though. Any future dude that would lead here or that we would send out to go lead somewhere else is going to do so willingly and not out of compulsion. It's the first character qualification in 1 Timothy. That's what they're to look like. That's what they're supposed to be. There's examples all throughout church history, though, of dudes that are not willing to step up to the plate. And it's not just a problem in our own day and age. And so as a way to encourage and challenge you, think about a guy named John, who was a theologian in the Reformation. The Reformation was a really, really scary time, y'all. This guy, a friend of his, asked him to go pastor in a town called Geneva. John didn't want to do that. John just wanted to write books, think, write out pamphlets. He didn't want to pastor people. And after several conversations, John's friend tells him, I'm going to start praying that God would curse you, bro. This is his account. He was so stricken with terror by this frightful imprecation or cursing that he desisted from his onward journey. It was like God had stretched forth his hand from on high to stop him. His friend had been absent from Geneva for over a month. And so he starts the detour. His friend had been absent from there for a month and the city council had to write him on the 10th of July to urge him to return regarding really certain critical matters. And if his friend had delayed his return to Geneva by just a few days, John would have been on his way and gone for good. But the arrangements of providence are exact. And he quotes Proverbs 16, 9, many are the plants in a man's heart, but the Lord guides his steps. Any dude that seeks to pastor doesn't do it out of compulsion or manipulation. Rather, he does it because he wants to. He does it willingly. And finally, the pastor's reward. What does he do it? Why does he do it? What's it all for? It's not for a paycheck. He doesn't do it for a paycheck. He says, when the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. He does it for one voice, one individual 
who's called the chief shepherd. I don't know if you notice this or not. When I email, I do not have a title lead pastor on my email. Do you notice that? Did you know that Hazelwood Baptist Church has one lead pastor? What is his name? Jesus Christ is our lead. I function as an under-shepherd of his. Nothing more. And Jesus is the one that I'm ultimately accountable to one day. I'm accountable to you and how I love you and how I care for you. But I want to hear from him one day, well done. A friend of mine, um, a few months ago, we were talking about situation that he was in. And he wondered, he, he, he kind of broke it down like this. If, if people said to him that he was a bad preacher, like just awful, like the pits, he would be sad about it because he, he worked hard to, to try to be a good communicator. If people said that he was a bad leader, He'd be sad about that too because that's something that he really leans into hard. He studied that for years. But if they said that they never loved me, that you never loved me, pastor, that's inexcusable. Friends, I pray that you know that I love you. I want you to know that I love you. I think about you. I pray for you by name. I love you because I love you. I love you primarily, though, because Jesus loves you. It's a joy to be able to join him in what he's doing for you. I want us to keep coming back to the one that loves us perfectly and loves us Best And so gospel grace for you today is certainly redemption and adoption and being sealed with his spirit. I don't know if you see this or not, but a sweet grace from Jesus is having someone that loves Jesus and loves you simultaneously. And when he appears, I get a crown of life. It's not for praise. It's not for attaboys. There are going to be things that I do that tick you off. Please don't kick me in the shin. Can we covenant together with that? Just talk with me before you, before you kick me in the shin or punch me in the head, okay? But at the end of it all, I get the crown of glory. Really, there are two different things the pastors get at the end of time when they stand before Jesus. Not just a crown of glory because they were faithful, but we get a crown now as you are faithful. At the end, I'm invited into Jesus' kingdom as someone that gets to reign with him and happily lays my crown at his feet. The same with you. It's Pastor Appreciation Month. I get that. I'm appreciated well enough. But if you want to appreciate me more, Philippians 
the fruit of Paul's ministry. The joy of Paul's ministry was to see the Philippians grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus and to gradually grow in obedience more and more towards him. You want to do Pastor Appreciation Month. You want to honor me well. This is what I would ask you to do. I would ask you to love Jesus more today. I'd ask you to pray regularly, more faithfully, not out of compulsion, but willingly. I'd ask you to love your neighbor. I'd ask you to love one another. I'd ask you to forgive one another. I'd ask you to think well of one another. I'd ask you to fight sin and pursue holiness. Dream and scheme about how God wants to use your gifts here. Friends, like Jesus loves our church. And this is, receive this as a dude that feels uncomfortable saying this right now. I'm happy I get to be a little part of that and a little part of your life. I'm joyfully happy to be here. I'm grateful to hear about the conversations that take place in your home, about how you're discipling your kids, or about how a particular sermon might have impacted you in such a way, or how praying for you, God seems to have answered prayers that have been directly related to you in your life. Jesus pastors his church through pastors. You want to be led by Jesus well today. Let me pastor you well. Let me love you well and lead you well and walk alongside you for the stretch of the road. Church, do you want to be loved even better and even more faithfully? Pray for me to be faithful. And pray that God would raise up other men to lead well too. Would you do that? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask him for that. Exactly that. Jesus, thank you for today. Jesus, my church is not my church. Our church is not our church. We are yours. Everything that we have is yours. Father, I pray that we can be people that want to be led well. I'm not that all the time. I'm grateful for the sweet, gentle people, though, at Hazelwood that make pastoring pretty easy. I'm grateful that they assume the best of me. I'm grateful for their trust. I'm grateful for their concern. But I pray that we would be ever increasingly towards, um, towards wanting to follow you. 
myself included. And so help me lean into you more. Spirit, I pray that you would give me um, greater wisdom, greater insight. But I pray for our good that I would not be um, solo shepherd. I shepherd under you, but I pray that you would call men that are mighty in the word and filled with the spirit who want to love and lead your people well. And not just for our church's good, but for North County and beyond. Jesus, I believe you can do that. So we ask as our great shepherd, would you do this? I pray for anyone in here that has received a call from you, that has not acted upon it. Today, I pray that you would let them rest in sweet surrender to you. That they'd rest in your plan for their life. And see the sweet joy of serving your people. Jesus, there's no greater reward than, than being exactly where you want us. And so I pray that you would make that true today for those that you've called. Father, we love you, and we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.